Swinet. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Yeah, that's that's one thing that's different today than it was oh, 30 or 40 years ago is that you used to be we would send a paper copy of the formula to the feed mill. And there was a guy at the feed mill, usually one of the more experienced guys, uh, that would enter that new formula. And if he saw something different, uh, he, he'd, he'd call you and, and ask about it. it, it and, uh, and that was a good thing. And I, I want to tell you that if someone calls you and questions a formula, even if there's nothing wrong with it, you should thank them profusely. Welcome to Swine Eat Podcast. My name is Marcio Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. Yeah, thanks, Wayne, for your time. You bet. I appreciate it. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so, Wayne, there is, uh, you know, a lot of everyone knows you in the U.S. and uh, North America. I want you to give us a little bit of your history. Um, yeah, just like, how did you end up in swine nutrition? And, and tell us uh, what you do. Well... I grew up on a pig farm. My father was a good hog man. And my earliest recollection as a child is coming out, <clears throat> waking up in the morning and coming out in the kitchen and father warming up a box full of baby pigs by the stove. You know, they'd nice. been born a cold Nebraska night and he brought them in to warm them up. So, and, uh, Yeah, and then so I attended the University of Nebraska. Back in those days, you know, you didn't I didn't I didn't know you were supposed to think about different colleges. I just went to the one that was mm -hmm. closest. Mm -hmm. So and uh, and so then as a university student, I worked part-time at the pig farm, the the genetics and reproductive physiology research farm. What I do today is I work, I have uh, six customers I formulate diets for and and uh, and help them with their nutrition and, and they're really nice people. And one thing I like about them is that they are, they are, they are people that uh, have done every job on the farm, you know, right. they, and so they have some compassion and appreciation for the pig and the people taking care of the pig. Oh, I work and I work part-time for PIC and that's been, there's been some real uh, positive parts to that. Uh, uh, Weasley Orlando that I get to work with, he has experience from a whole nother continent, you know, that, and that I don't have. And, and he has some really good computer skills that I don't have and modeling skills. So that that's been good for me. Yeah. Very nice. To have access to those tools. Very nice. They used to have a young guy that worked there also from Brazil that I yeah. enjoyed working. Yeah. Wayne, for those that are not fine nutritionists, uh, can you explain what are the what are the nutrient loadings? Okay. So a pig has nutrient needs, uh, vitamins, trace minerals, amino acids, energy, calcium and phosphorus, sodium. And, and those needs are different for the different phases of, of its life. 
whether it's gestation or lactation or nursery or grow finish. And so we try to meet those nutrient needs. And so on one side of the formula is, is the nutrients that this pig needs. And then we, we look at our ingredients to figure out what is the best way to meet those nutrient needs. And, and we use a computer formulation to do that. And, and the key to that is having the nutrients correct on those ingredients. Because that computer doesn't know what's right or wrong. It's trying to help you figure out the best way to meet those nutrient needs. And so if you've got a, an incorrect loading on one of your ingredients, it doesn't know that. And so it's going to formulate the diet, you know, and, and the diet may not be correct. I guess I I can tell you a couple stories about where I've helped other nutritionists figure out what, what a, a a nutrient loading problem and, and, and what, and what they had a problem. They didn't know it was nutrient loadings until I helped them figure it out. I can tell you a couple stories like that. Please do. Okay, so there's a guy doing some diets for a company in, in Pennsylvania, and he was having a lot of broken bones. And if you looked at his formula, you know, the calcium and phosphorus looked right. But I took his formula, and I took the pounds of each ingredient and, and, and formulated the diet with the same pounds of ingredients and I wasn't finding near as much calcium as his, as he was. Mm-hmm. And so then we went through it ingredient by ingredient and looked at the calcium loadings on that ingredient. And he had a bad number on his wheat mids. Mm-hmm. And he thought there was a lot of calcium in there. And so I said, well, check your, your uh, quality control in your analysis. Right. And there wasn't that much calcium in there. So that, that created the problem. So he had a new, he had a, a nutrient loading on an ingredient that caused the broken bones because there wasn't as much calcium as he thought. Right. On the quality control side, when I know there's different philosophies like, okay, should I monitor the incoming ingredients, but also the, the finished complete diet, what's, what's your take on that? Uh, and then we can jump into the, the next uh, few uh, experiences. Next story. Yeah. Okay. I think you need to watch both. Okay, so you need to watch your incoming ingredients because that's what your nutrient loadings come from. But you also got to watch your finished feed because the finished feed will give you a clue how good a job you're doing on your ingredients. But it's also going to help you figure out if you've got uh, how good the mill is at putting those ingredients in. And then there's a third part of it that I think that most people – underutilize and that's your feed mill accounting for example let's say i'm monitoring my ingredients for fat and then and and i'm also monitoring my complete feeds for a fat level Mm -hmm. well let's say both of those are running low well is that because i've got something wrong on my ingredient loadings or is that because the feed mill has a problem with their uh their metering device right? or, and so I look at my ingredients. I have the guy at the feed mill, uh, check, uh, recalibrate his meters. But the third thing that I do is I talk to feed mill accounting and they look at how many tons of feed we made, 
how many tons of fat we should be using. And, and if we're not using that many tons of fat, it tells us that helps confirm that we need to look at our metering device. Mm -hmm. So I think feed mill accounting is an un, uh, doesn't get utilized as much as it should. Yeah. Makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. So what, what else have you seen as far as the nutrient loadings and, and problems in the field? There was a large, large system in Illinois and their feed efficiency, girl finished feed efficiency had gone, uh, gotten worse. And the guy felt that he really hadn't changed anything. And so I said, send me one of your diets. And I, I, re I took his pounds of each ingredient and I put them in there. And I said, what do you think your threonine ratio is? And he said, you know, whatever the right number is, 62 or something. And I said, well, I'm not finding near that much. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so he had given, he had, one change he had made, he had gone through and given his uh, phytase some nutrient releases. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, except he'd made a math error on his threonine. Mm -hmm. So he was feeding a lot lower threonine ratio than he thought he was. Hmm. And then I had a guy up in Iowa whose growth had gone down and, and he couldn't figure out why. And so I looked, I took his diets and reconstructed them and, and, and I wasn't finding near enough tryptophan. And so then we dug into each one of his ingredients and we found that he had a artificially high tryptophan value on bakery meal, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it, 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 ha it happens, you know? Mm -hmm. When sometimes we have a, a minimal in that energy level of the diet and we don't have a fat or oil available in the diet. Oh, you know? oh yeah. And then yeah, will... and then it'll fill with an ingredient like methionine or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one thing that's different today than it was, oh, 30 or 40 years ago. Is that you used to be we would send a paper copy of the formula to the feed mill, and there was a guy at the feed mill, usually one of the more experienced guys, uh, that would enter that new formula, and if he saw something different uh he he'd, he'd call you and and ask about it it, it and uh and that was a good thing and i, I want to tell you that if someone calls you and questions a formula even if there's nothing wrong with it you right. should thank them profusely yeah. because they they are you know you might be the only guy looking at that formula if that guy isn't. And, to, and today, that's kind of a problem because right. there isn't this old guy at the feed mill looking at the formula. It all gets transferred electronically. And so m maybe nobody looks at that and, and right. want people to be looking at it. And so even if there's nothing wrong with the formula, you thank him for looking at it because you want them to be looking at it because it'll – it's your last line of defense, you know, it's right. your safety net. You got to be, and you thank them. And that's the other reason you go to the feed mills is so those guys can put a face with the name and they're not intimidated uh, to call you. You know, they know you, they know that you don't have horns and a tail and, and that you want to do what's right. So. Right. No, that's a great advice. I like that. Um, Wayne, um, what are great practices to have a good 
nutrient loadings? What, what, what do you do to, to ensure, you know, you minimize any chances of error? What, yeah, to minimize error. Well, you, you got to be particular and, and try to do it when you're not, you know, when you're updating ingredients, you try to do it when you're not tired. I try to do it when first thing in the morning when your mind is about as good as it's going to be. Right. And I try to do it so early in the morning that you're not going to get any phone calls and interruptions. Right. And then the other thing that I would encourage you to do, Marcio, is, is, is take, get, network. And, and so you go to a, a uh, you have another nutri another nutritionist that's your friend or an acquaintance and you and you say I'm gonna take uh, this many pounds of corn mm -hmm. this many pounds of diet uh, a soybean meal and and tell me what you get for a lysine level what do you get for a calcium phosphorus level yeah. and and another one to kind of check your ratios amino acid ratios you can take a diet and say, okay, how many, we're both going to pick a 1% lysine diet, for example. How many pounds of crystalline lysine can you use before another amino acid becomes limiting? And then what is that amino acid? All right. And then how many pounds of that next amino acid comes in before the, the third limiting amino acid is there? And you can kind of check your ratios, you know? Right, right. So like when you did your work at K-State, your loadings on ingredients were a little different than mine, and your 20% on tryptophan was more like my 19% right. on tryptophan, you know, and things like that. But I think you gotta, you gotta have a friend. You gotta call a friend or acquaintance, and 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 it, and it's mutually beneficial. It, it helps you, and it can help them too, because I I do that a lot. And sometimes we find something that's goofy on my end, and sometimes we find something goofy on their end. And so it, it's mutually beneficial. Right. Well, another thing that came to mind, Wayne, is, um, you know, young nutritionists like myself and others, you know, get into the industry. What would be your recommendation for, say, the, the, the first couple of steps? Okay, you know, first day in the job, you know, how do we take over from a nutrient loading standpoint. Yeah, and I'd say this is true for not just a young nutritionist, but an old nutritionist too, that goes into a new a new uh, situation. So like when I went to Premium Standard Farms, I didn't start changing diets the first damn thing. I started looking at the nutrient loadings for ingredients because you, that, that's what drives it. That computer doesn't know anything. It just knows what you give it. And, and an example of something that happened there, I had never been anywhere where corn gluten feed was a good buy hmm. for pigs. It's a great buy. It's a great ingredient, but it's usually the cattle guys scoop it up mm -hmm. and it's worth more to them. And, but corn gluten feed was coming into these diets and so I, uh, the supplier was ADM, a good quality company, and I, and I visited with their nutritionist, and we went through the nutrient loadings on that ingredient. And, he, and the previous nutritionist had what a very optimistic, very, very optimistic uh, energy value on that ingredient. I don't know if it was an error mm -hmm. or, you know, an entry error or a... Uh, 
I don't know what he was thinking about. But so once I changed that, then corn gluten feed was not a good buy anymore. Hmm. Makes sense. Makes so sense. You got to go through your ingredients. And uh, for, I think the first thing you do in a new setting. And so who do you, how do you do that? Well, you can look at NRC, you can call a friend, you can, uh, yeah, you, you got options. Yeah. I, and, and then another thing I think a, a person should try to do uh, on his nutrient loadings is to, like on his VTM or his vitamins and trace minerals and on his drugs or any other additive, probably he needs to spend some time understanding how much calcium's coming from those ingredients because they're calcium, limestone is a common carrier. And so you'll end up with more calcium than you probably need or want. If, if you don't pay attention I, and everybody says, well, the inclusion rate mm -hmm. of those is very big, but you start adding them all together and it, and it becomes the inclusion rate becomes high. And then on some of these drugs, like I remember, uh, I was reviewing some diets for a company and, uh, man, I was coming up with way more calcium in this last nursery diet than they were. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they were using neoteromycin, which is a fine drug, but your your inclusion rate of that product was like 40 pounds per ton, and they weren't accounting for the limestone that was in there as a carrier. And the interesting part of that story, I think, Marcio, is that they called me a month or two later and said their their pig their exit weights of their nurseries had gone up, mm. and they really hadn't changed anything else. So that excess calcium was hurting them. Mm. And I think some of Hans Stein's yeah recent work out of, of Illinois would confirm that too much calcium can hurt performance. Right. Makes sense. Um, what, what have you seen lately that, that might concern you or, or you're thinking about? Yeah, I saw some diets from Brazil and in their corn soy diets predominantly, and you're very familiar with them, but they were adding choline to those diets. And there's, and I, I don't think it's hurting the pig performance at all, but I would I would be surprised right. if like they have a need for choline. A grow-finished pig would need to have a need for choline and a corn-soy diet. Right. And I think, Marcio, you did a study did, with yeah. Carthage that showed that they, did, they didn't need it. Right. Yeah, we do that. Right. So that, I, and, and again, that's not going to hurt the pigs, but it's going to hurt somebody's pocketbook. Right. Right, 100%. Maybe we could talk about consistent ingredients versus variable ingredients. We should reward consistent ingredients. And, and one way to reward them or make them more attractive is that on your variable ingredients, because you don't know that nutrient's going to be in there all the time, right. that you could use your average minus of half a standard deviation or something yeah. To make sure you have the right amount of nutrient in there all the time. I think that's a pretty good practice. That makes sense. Oh, one thing I was going to ask you was on the, you know, monocalcium phosphate and dicalcium phosphate. Some areas I've uh, experienced, some areas of the U.S. And, and also Canada, you know, you know, some people just call like dicol, right? So uh, yeah. <laughs> for us, I guess it's good to always ask for the label, right? Something I learned with you, with you as well. Yeah, ask for the label. And I think a feed mill today probably uses less feed phosphate in a month than they used to use in a week. 
And so you think about that feed mill and those augers that are that are putting that into our ton of feed, they are way too large right. and to put in these small amounts. And so the, those are there's some things, there's some advantage to going to a feed mill and sitting down next to the guy batching the feed and just watching what the heck's going on because and then and then then what you need to do is either slow that auger down or you can put in a smaller auger which is more expensive or you can do some things like you can cut off some of the flighting on that auger at the end so it's less efficient and doesn't add it as fast so you'll see that you know we're adding less yeah feed phosphate in a diet, you know, used to be you'd put in 10 pounds. Well, now maybe not putting in any, but worse yet, we're putting in one or two pounds. And can it do it accurately? Right. Some people, I, I think some people are even adding on the micro bins sometimes. That's they, right. That's right. When they have space available. Yeah. Very good. Um, good. Any, anything else, Wayne, that comes to mind when nutrient loadings? You, you ask any of these young nutritionists that work with, have worked with me, and they will tell you that my my, I tell them every day nutrient loadings are everything. You know this computer formulation is wonderful, but those those elves in there that are doing those thousands <laughs> calculations, they don't know if you're giving them bad information. And and I would encourage people to compare ingredients with other nutritionists and formulation with other nutritionists where you put in pound for pound a a match a diet and see how different the answers are and and there's going to be some frustrations with that process too i uh in that like gary cromwell uh, did a study on soybean meal and he took soybean meal from five or six different plants and he sent it to five or six different uh, uh, labs for amino acid analysis. And he found out there was more difference in in between the labs than there was the, the soybean yeah. plants. And so so there's going to be some frustrations there and, and you're not going to agree 100%, but you want to make sure you're not way wrong like the guy with the threonine loading on his phytase or the guy with the tryptophan loading on his um, uh, bakery or the guy with the calcium loading on his wheat mints. Yeah, I, I did it. I did it today with, uh, no, it wasn't today. It was yesterday. I did it t- yesterday with corn and soybean meal because I was wanting, wanting to make sure my isoleucine and valine values were correct. You know, I, I looked at NRC and then I checked with another nutritionist because NRC is very, very, very good. Uh, but there can be glitches in NRC too. So yeah. Right. Yeah. You just gotta, you gotta be a little bit anal. Right. Wait, one thing, uh, as far as nutrient loadings and why, you know, why I think you are one of the experts on that arena is that you're probably the most interesting nutritionist I've met as far as, uh, interesting ingredients as well right so if you can share with us uh, what are the craziest uh, ingredients you've dealt with well well so i I, you know fortune cookies i've figured fortune cookies lately i've figured uh 
peanut butter. I figured, um, oh, yeah, potato, chip, potato chips and corn chips lately. Yeah, so I've done those candy bars, lifesavers, those kind of things. Yep, amazing, M and M's and all that kind of thing. Yeah, M and M's, peanut M and M's, and peanuts. Yeah, peanuts. Yeah. Very good, Wayne. I guess there's uh, a. Yeah. We approach the, the end here. One, uh, we have three questions that we are going to ask every guest, every episode. And uh, the first one is, what is your favorite swine-related book? Well, I don't have just one, but I want to give you several that I think are really worth worthwhile. Nice. Uh, Wilson Pond wrote a book, Swine Production in Temperate and Topical. Uh, that's not right. Wilson Pond wrote a book, Swine Production in Temperate and Tropical Environments. Okay. And that's a really nice book to read. Hmm. Yep. Another book by Thacker and Kirkwood is Non-Traditional Feed Sources for Use in Swine Production. Wow. That's, an that's an excellent book, too. Nice. And then I like uh, Austin Lewis's book. Uh, uh, it's actually Austin Lewis and Leith Southern's book, Swine nutrition, that big blue book. That blue, yeah. And then, and then, for a yeah, I think there's another book that I would encourage a young nutritionist in particular. Anyway, any nutritionist to read. Yeah. Is the Swine Nutrition Guide that John Patience and Prairie Swine Center put out, it, and it be it's a good book for a producer too. It it is. John asked me one time if I thought it was too simple, and I said, no, it was written right at my level. <laughs> and it, 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 it's a good book wow. for uh, a layperson as well as a Ph.D. swine nutritionist book to mm. read. So those would be four books that I would recommend highly. Very nice. Yeah. And uh, what about books unrelated to, to swine? Well, there's a book that I think uh, I want you to read mm -hmm. because I don't think I got everything out of it that I that's in there. But there's a book called The Accidental Superpower hmm. by Peter Zahan. And uh, it's a real interesting book. And, and it's about uh, it's about America being blessed geographically mm -hmm. and. Uh, We have fertile soils and a good transportation system and uh, no enemies to the north or the south of us and how we're blessed there. And then it also talks quite a bit about uh, uh, population and how that's changing. That so, is very interesting. Um, last question, Wayne, is what do you think sets apart successful swine professionals? Yeah, that's a good question. Why? I think they I think they want to have the producer's best interest at heart. Makes uh, sometimes you the producer will yeah, that they want to do the right thing for the producer so that that guy's kids can go to college and so that guy is successful as you, as you know how. You want to do the best you can, you know. Right. Because pe people's livelihood depends on it so okay so this probably isn't going to go on the podcast but i'll tell you because you're my friend yeah but when i 
church on Sunday, mm-hmm. I pray that my wife and my children are happy, healthy, and productive. Mm-hmm. And I pray for myself that I do a good job for my producer because they, you know, 70% of their 60 or 70% of their cost goes through my fingers. And I know I can't control the price of corn and that, right. but I, I want to be a good steward with my producer's money. Right. I want to spend his money as wisely as if it were my own. Um, well, I think, I think that last part should go on the podcast, Wayne. Oh, that part. Well, well, I, it is. I, 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 I think in some jobs you could say, well, it's not that important or, you know, it's not, but gosh, these guys are dependent on you. And, and I take that responsibility seriously. Yeah. That makes sense, Wayne. I appreciate you sharing that. Thanks, Wayne. I appreciate our time. Oh, I'm glad to do it, Marcio. You're a fine young man. Take care. Yeah, you too.